and welcome to the Love Key Church message of the week. Love Key Church is a local expression of a part of the body of Christ with a focus on creating a place, opportunity, and atmosphere through worship music and the Word where people can encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and then help others to do the same. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, Valetta, and our four children, we recently launched Love Key Church right here in Somerset West. Enjoy the message. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. Thank you so much. God bless you as you listen to this word. So if you have been journeying with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been speaking on aligning with God. Our church values are to encounter God, meet with Him, have time in His presence, because then we receive from Him. But then we have to take action, and we need to actually align our lives with what we experienced in the encounter. And we are talking about that now. How do I align my life, my affection, my priorities to God's word and to God's will. And we spoke about how important it is to align ourselves with what God says about love. And then we spoke about how important it is to align ourselves with what does it mean to fear the Lord. If you were here last week or listened to the message, you'll know there are ample scriptures to show that we need to be in that place to fear the Lord. Why are these two values so important? Because God says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So love of God leads to a life of obedience. And if we fear the Lord, then we will have wisdom. Because the Bible says, the beginning, fearing, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So do you want to live an obedient life that's filled with wisdom? These are the keys. These are the foundations of how we do it. And today I believe God wants to show us that at the core of these two values, of these two foundations, is our faith. So we're talking about today, the message title is Faith at the Core. And I want to show you what that means, and I believe that God will speak to you today. And I trust that with the scripture and with the praise and worship, you will have an encounter with God, and that you will, be, that you will choose to align yourself with what we learn here today. Lord, we pray that you bless us as we read your word. We pray that you break it open, Holy Spirit. I pray that my revelation will not just stay mine, but that it will be for everybody. And that you will bring your truth, your love, and your fear biblically into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to read you three pieces of scripture from the same chapter. Then I'm going to tell you a bit of a story. I'm going to show you how this story, this picture aligns with the message today, and then we're going to look at the scriptures we read in context, and then I'm going to try to bring these things together and show you what God is trying to show us today. All right, so if you have your Bible, please turn to 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to start in verse 2 to 4. I'm going to read these, but I'm going to expand on them a bit later, okay? So just read with me right now and let Holy Spirit lead you. It says, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat 
feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. We're going to jump down to verse 15. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. This is the prophet speaking. After they prayed, the prophet speaks. He says, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And then we're going to jump down to verse 22. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 22. Do you hear all the twos there? (laughs) Now, when they began to sing and to praise. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. Can you see something of what's happening here it is exciting it is amazing we're going to get into that just now i just want that scripture to sink in for this moment as i tell you a quick story on monday i felt i need to just take a walk on the beach here near us at strand and i wasn't sure why and i wasn't sure why why i'm there um the wind was blowing really really strong uh, so it wasn't exactly like a beach day (laughs) But I went out there and I stood on the beach and I looked out at the ocean and there was, a, there was a two people that were kite surfing and the one stopped and the one kept going. One was kite surfing up and down the, the coastline. And I was looking at this guy fascinated by this sport. I mean, I've seen it many times, but you know, the idea that you can do that and actually get up into the air and fly you know, for meters on end just kind of blows my mind. And as I was looking at this guy, I saw that the brand name of the kite that he was riding with was, no, was named Core, C-O-R-E. Now, I'm not doing this as a plug for them. <laughs> That's just literally what was written on the kite. <laughs> and immediately, I felt God say to me, what's at your core? What is at your core? And then it started, breaking op- it started to break open this idea that the, the kite that this guy is using to ride on the water and to fly every now and again is faith. It's faith. And then I saw, afterwards, I went to watch some videos about kite surfing. I was like so interested in this and to understand how it works. And you, and you see that that kite is connected to four strands, four strings, ropes, well, strong ropes, but thin, to a, to a harness that comes around a person's core. That's actually where the kite is attached to, is the core of your body. So God starts speaking to me about this whole thing, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm listening. And as I'm standing there, I realize on the, on the beach, I'm standing there, and I'm realizing this guy can't do anything if there's no wind. The wind is making this all happen. But he has to put his kite, the canopy of his kite, in the right place. And he must understand where the wind is coming from and where it's going. So that's kind of, that's kind of starts to, to play in my mind. And I'm just watching this guy and seeing how he's having so much fun. But he understands something about what's happening. So I went online and I checked out a few you know, 
starting out with kite surfing videos. And I came across this Australian guy who had, had quite an amazing video taking it from, this, from scratch. And after a while I thought, man, you are writing my sermon for me. Because <laughs> it was just amazing to, to hear how it all works. So he starts off by saying, he says, the first thing you do when you go kite surfing, you go to the beach and the first thing you do is you establish where is the wind coming from. And the way you establish where the wind is coming from is by turning your head. You see, kind of feel where the wind's coming from. You turn your head, turn your head until you hear the wind in both your ears. I was like, oh my word, that's amazing. And then a little later in the video, he said that when you come to kitesurf, you must know that you do not determine where the wind comes from. But you determine whether you're going to catch it and ride with it and to what, you know, what level you can do that. And I'm like, wow, this is just a sermon. <laughs> or it has a sermon written all over it. So as I'm, as I'm talking to God about this, I'm, I'm seeing it break open even more and more. And I'm just like, God, thank you so much. Thank you that you, you're in the little things, that you speak to me through a kite surfer. And, and I want to encourage you in that. Be sensitive to what your spirit is saying because you never know where and when and how God is going to speak to you. But we need to be open to that. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm watching these videos and then I went to watch a whole bunch of kite surfer fails, <laughs> which is really entertaining. Um, and then I watched the guys who know what they're doing, the best kite surfers. And the difference is massive. But you can see the pros, they have a great understanding of the wind, of how the canopy works, and how to use their steering mechanism attached to their core. If they know that, then they can do pretty much anything, and it's safe, even though it doesn't look very safe. <laughs> And I think that is something of what God is trying to tell us today. That we need to be in that place where we have our faith at our core. And it's aligned with God, but His idea of love and His idea of fearing the Lord. We need to make sure that we know exactly in which direction the wind is blowing. What is the wind? It's the Holy Spirit. In, when we read about the, the weapons of God, the, 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 um, sorry, I forget the term now. <laughs> Ephesians 6, it speaks of the, um, the armor of God. Thank you, my wife. The armor of God. One of the things we have is the sword. In some translations, it says the sword of the word. In others, it says the sword of the spirit. In some, it says it's both. So we know that the Word of God, the written Word of God, or the spoken Word of God that He speaks to us, is also the Spirit of God. And the Bible refers to the Spirit of God as Ruach, the breath of God. It's spoken of as a mighty rushing wind. And so we can know that if the wind of God is blowing in a certain direction. We need to make sure that our faith, that our kite is aligned with the direction he is going and not the direction that we want to go. And that is why this is so important. Why am I telling you all of this? 
Because I believe that something of this is seen in the story of King Jehoshaphat. And I want to show you how he had great moments of sensing the wind of God and aligning himself perfectly with the wind of God, with his kite at his core, and how he was blessed. But also, I want to show you that there were times, and unfortunately towards the end of his life, that he didn't do that. And there were consequences. We have an example in Jehoshaphat, and we have a cautionary tale in Jehoshaphat. So let's look at it. I read to you from 2 Chronicles 20. Okay? Now, we need to get a bit of context. A few years ago, I realized that the story of Jehoshaphat actually starts with the story of Solomon opening the temple of God. Now we know from the Old Testament that David was the warrior king who had to conquer and take ground. And that he was told by God, you will not build my temple because you have blood on your hands, but your son will build my temple. And now in, in 2 Chronicles 6, we see that Solomon with all the people of Israel is gathered at the temple. And they are bringing offerings and they are setting it up and getting it ready. And then Solomon does a prayer, a very long prayer. And in that prayer, he says, God, if your people sin against you and you let them be attacked or you send a pestilence among them or you withhold the rain or you do this, there's a whole list of things. He says, if your people sin and you do this, if your people sin and you do this, then he said, if your people gather in this place, at the temple, and appeal to you, turn to you, repent to you, will you help us? Will you save us? Will you take away the consequences of our own sin? And then so beautifully, in 2 Chronicles 7, we also get the very famous verse that we've heard so many times over the last decade or two, especially from Uncle Angus, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. But it's very interesting to read the whole of it. 2 Chronicles 7, if you read it from verse 11, what happens here? Now Solomon prayed and fire came down from heaven and burnt up all the offering that they had. And then God spoke to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7. And he said to him, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Turn from their wicked ways. And I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive them. But that's not all. He actually answers Solomon's prayer point by point. Not all of it, but kind of in a summary. So Solomon asks, Lord, if we pray in this place, when things are not great, will you save us? And then God answers and says, yes, I will. He makes a promise. And when God makes a promise, it will not change. He's not a man that he should lie. Now, we jump ahead 10 chapters to 2 Chronicles 17. And in 2 Chronicles 17, we start reading the story about Jehoshaphat. It's an amazing story. Now, if you've ever read the books of Kings and the books of Chronicles, 
you will probably also have felt this frustration that it seems like most of the kings are called bad kings. They are not in line with God's will. But every now and again, there's this little, pe- little bit of light coming through. And Jehoshaphat was one of them. Now, what you also have to know is that after Solomon, there was a massive split where Israel broke away from Judah. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And Jehoshaphat is now king of Judah. But there's animosity and war between Judah and Israel. And Israel has a bad king, an evil king, the Bible says. Now we, we pick up the story here. Jehoshaphat, I'm not going to put this up on the screen. I'm just going to read a few things to you that stands out to me. So it says, now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Because, listen why. Why was God with Jehoshaphat? Because he walked in the former ways of his father David, and he did not seek the balls, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Now, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jehoshaphat kept the commandments. So what do we know about him? He loved God. He loved God. He wanted to do things God's way. And Therefore the Lord, now because he does this, it says the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance. It goes on to say that he established the the nation in such an amazing way with governance in place that, and then it says the nations around them started fearing the Lord just because he set up godly governance. How amazing is that? And it goes on to say that even his enemies, the Philistines, brought him gifts and animals and riches. He was just at the top of his game. This was going really well for him. But then something weird happens in chapter 18. It says, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Ahab was the evil king of Israel. Now, what you don't read here is that God told Jehoshaphat to marry Ahab's daughter. You don't read that. You read that he has riches, and then he makes a decision. It says, after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Now, just before this, it says that there was war between Israel and Judah. So what is, what is Jehoshaphat trying to do? He's trying to align the two groups of people of God again. But he's not doing it because God said so. He has a great intention, probably, but he is doing it on his own, in his own strength. Now see what happens. He, he goes to Ahab. Ahab gives him a big feast, and they have a big party. And then it, the word says, Ahab entices Jehoshaphat to go into war with him against, I have to get that word, Ramoth Gilead. And he says, Jehoshaphat, will you go up with me to Ramoth Gilead to fight this war? And Jehoshaphat says to him, yes, my people are your people. My soldiers are your soldiers. Then Jehoshaphat says, but let us first inquire from the Lord whether we should go up. And then you can almost see like Ahab going, okay. (laughs) And they gathered 400 prophets, 400 prophets to prophesy. And what do they do? They all say, yes, you must go. The Lord has spoken. You should do that. And you can, then you get this comical picture of Jehoshaphat going, um, isn't there one more prophet in the house that can hear from the Lord? 
You can almost see that Jehoshaphat, is, he's gotten himself into a very interesting predicament out of his own will. So you can almost get a picture of he's not, he's, his kite is not aligned with the wind of God. So he's in a difficult situation. But now he's trying to make the best of it by trying to be a man of God in these difficult circumstances. But would he have been in that circumstance if he listened to God in the first place? So now he's here. 400 prophets are prophesying passionately in front of them. These two kings with their royal robes. And Joshua's like, oh, isn't there one more guy that, you know, maybe can shed some light on this situation? And then Ahab says, yeah, yeah, there's this one other guy, Micaiah, but, you know, he never says what I want to hear. <laughs> he literally says that. So Joshua's like, maybe we should, Joshua says to him, a king shouldn't speak like that. Bring him. So he does reprimand him a little bit. And they bring Micaiah. Now, while they're going for Micaiah, one of the elder prophets, he makes iron horns and says, the, the Lord says that these iron horns is like how you would gorge the enemy in Ramoth Gilead. Now the guy who went to fetch Micaiah says to him, listen, dude, all these prophets are prophesying that we should go to war. You should say the same thing. Micaiah's like, I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. So they, they come back and then Micaiah speaks to the king Ahab King Ab says, what, do you, what does the Lord say? And Micaiah almost sarcastically says, yes, you should go to Ramoth Gilead and you will win the battle. And Ahab's like, I told you that in my presence you must always speak the truth of what God says. Now, do you hear the irony? He just said what Ahab wants to hear, but Ahab's like, no, 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 you have to say what God says. So he says what God says. He says, God showed me a vision. Ahab says, God showed me a vision of God the Father on the throne with all the hosts of heaven around him. And God says, who will entice King Ahab to go into battle so that he will die? God says that to the whole assembly in heaven. Then a spirit comes forward and says, I will, make, I will come into the tongues of his prophets and he, the prophets will convince him to go. So God sends a lying spirit Okay, <laughs> is it a little confusing? I know, but God had a plan. Ahab was evil and he needed to take him out. So he's doing what in his sovereign will, what he wants to do because he's God. And he's sending a lying spirit into the prophets of God. Now Micaiah is saying this. Now Ahab goes to, to Joshua, see, I told you, he never tells me what I want to hear. But he just told him to, t okay, so it's a comical scene in a way. Now the older prophet who had the horns slaps Micaiah and tells him, has the Spirit of God left me and is now speaking to you? One guy against 400. Can you imagine? But what do you see in that scene? You see a prophet, Micaiah, having tilted his head until he could hear with both ears, and he didn't compromise. He made sure that his kite was with the wind of God. Jehoshaphat is sitting there hearing all of this. But what does he do? He still goes into battle with Ahab. Now listen to Ahab. He's a skarmunkle. He tells, he tells Jehoshaphat, you go with your royal robes. I'm going to disguise myself. And they go into battle. Now the king of Assyria, that's, or Assyria that is attacking them says to his soldiers, ignore all the other soldiers. Just go for the king of Israel. So they see one guy in royal robes. They go for him. And they want to kill him. But it's Jehoshaphat. It's not Ahab. And the Bible says, Jehoshaphat cried out 
And God heard him and he protected him. And he made those soldiers see that it's not Ahab. So they turned around, they left him alone. So God protected him even though he wasn't where he was supposed to be. That's a bit of comfort for all of us. And then it says, a soldier randomly shot an arrow and it hit between the armor. It hit Ahab. And then he said, let's leave the battleground with the guy who was riding his chariot. And he went to sit somewhere and he died. All right. So we see this whole, whole scene. Then in the next chapter, chapter 19, Jehoshaphat comes back. A seer, a prophet comes to him and says to him, why do you align yourself? Why do you love and align yourself with someone who hates God? And he says, almost in a way, he says, listen, you're lucky. Because because you've done all these other good things that's in line with God's will, he's going to overlook this thing. But you can't do this again. You can never do this again. And then we see how it goes well with Jehoshaphat again. And he does all kinds of great things. And by the end of chapter 19, it's like he is at the top of his game. We even read that he has 1.16 million soldiers. Companies of 300,000, 200,000. That's a huge army. That's just his army. Imagine how big his people have got. And this is just Judah. The opening line of what we read first, 2 Chronicles 20, it says that Moab and all these other people came against them to, to attack them. And then we have our scripture of the day where uh, Jehoshaphat hears that there's a great horde coming against him. And it says he fears and he turns and seeks God. Now, I want you to just imagine for a moment. If you have an army of 1.16 million soldiers and you have riches and you have fortified cities and an army comes that makes you fearful... How big is that army? <laughs> it must have been insane. I mean, first of all, I'm trying to imagine, I was, I was at its time. I saw between 1.5 and 2 million people together. It is kind of crazy. So imagine that, and then imagine a group that's bigger than that that makes that group scared. Okay? So this is happening. <laughs> it says Jehoshaphat feared, but he turned and sought the face of God. What is he doing? He's doing the right thing. He is turning his head until the wind, the word of God, Holy Spirit, is blowing in both ears. And he's choosing to bring his core into line with what God is doing. And he calls a fast throughout the whole nation. And they pray. Where do they pray? They pray at the temple where Solomon prayed to God and said, If we come here and we pray... Will you save us? And if you go read the prayer of Jehoshaphat, it is almost word for word the same as Solomon's prayer. And Jehoshaphat is reminding God of what Solomon prayed and what God promised to Solomon. And he's saying, God, you gave us this land. Will you let these people that you said we mustn't kill when we came in here come back and take it again? Surely not. Lord, save us from this day. Save us from this attack. And as they were praying, it says they were all flat on the floor, flat on the ground, praying, shouting out to God. The whole congregation of Judah 
It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet and he stood up and he spoke. The wind of God was blowing through a man of God whose ears were always ready to turn in the right direction. A king leading his people, seeking the face of God, waiting, hoping for the prophet to speak, and he does. And the prophet says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And then you can read that in detail. It's an amazing story of how Jehoshaphat, in this moment, he's a man of faith. He loves God. He fears God. So he aligns his kite. He aligns his faith with what the word of God is from the prophet. And he, he mobilizes the people of God. He doesn't just leave it. He doesn't just hope that it will somehow happen on its own. He mobilizes them. Why? Because the prophets encouraged them, told them that God will have the victory. That was the first line. So right off the bat, they can relax and know that God has got this. But what does he do next? He actually tells them the tactic of the enemy. He says, by the Spirit of the Lord, the enemy is going to go up there. They're going to be over here. Then he says, so he tells them what's the enemy's strategy. Then he tells them what they are supposed to do. You must go there, set up there, and then stand. Stand. Then we see Jehoshaphat mobilizing the people. And it says he put people that were, he put people in place to worship and to lead the congregation in praise and worship. Or to, to do the worship unto the Lord. And there's a line here that I love so much. It's so beautiful. He said, they must worship. Oh, here it is. He appointed, it's in verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, listen to that. He also, as a, he's, as a good king, he doesn't just decide everything on his own. He consults the people. Then he says, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise. Listen to this. He appointed those who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying. So the Levites, the worshipers, are going out where? Before the army. <laughs> what are they armed with? Lyres and harps and song. They are going in the forefront. Why? Because they had a word from God. Because the king had spoken. And they were obedient. And they knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. So they went out before the army. There's an army of 1.16 million people with swords and shields and horses and all kinds of stuff. But who goes ahead? The worshipers. And then there's that verse I read to you earlier. So beautiful, so powerful. This is the thing that we should see. It must become a part of who we are. It must sit in the center of our spirit man. Because it says, now when they began to sing, now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. 
How good is that? They were defeated. And how were they defeated? They turned against each other. God caused them to fight each other. The two nations first killed the one, and then the, those who were left started killing each other. And it says, when the people of God looked over the hill, they saw just bodies lying all over the place. Now, the next thing is also important to note. They started to pick up the spoil. The spoil is that which the enemy had, gold, silver, weapons, whatever it may be. It took them three days to pick up the spoil. Who do you think picked up the spoil? I'm thinking it was the army. So 1.16 million people. <laughs> it took them three days to pick up the spoil. <laughs> Just let that sink in for a moment. And then it says, and I love this part. It says they gathered to thank the Lord. They gathered to bless the Lord. They didn't just take the victory and walked away. And we've seen pictures in the Bible of, of a Saul who God said, don't take the spoil. And he took the spoil. And we saw what happened to him. <laughs> we saw what happened to him. Um, so out of this, we can see a Jehoshaphat that is absolutely aligned with God. He loves God. He fears God. And by faith... He takes the word of God and he goes with it by faith. And in consulting his people, he puts people in place that worships and they go out ahead of the guys with physical weapons. But he knows and they know that the weapon that they have is more powerful than the physical weapons. The weapon of praise, the weapon of worship, the weapon of putting God first is so much more powerful but it takes faith to make that decision, to step into that moment and to be there. It takes faith. It takes making sure that you've turned your head so that both your ears can hear the Holy Spirit. And then not just stop there, but choose to mobilize in line with that and do what God says. Shortly after this, there's unfortunately a sad turn of events in the life of Jehoshaphat. We saw in the beginning of his story that he had a, a self-serving or a, not a self-serving, I would rather say he had a, his own vision for Israel and Judah, that he wanted to unite them again. He married the daughter of Ahab. And then towards the end of his life, we see that he made another attempt to do that. There's now a new king on the throne of Israel, because we know Ahab died in that battle. And it says that he partnered with this king to build ships to go to Tarshish. And that is actually how you pronounce that name. I'm not making a mistake. And the, it's, let me read it to you because I think it's quite important. So, let me just get the right plot. Um, yeah, after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and when they made the ships in Ezion Geber. But Eliezer, the son of Dodovah, he prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed 
your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. If we do things, big decisions, big life-altering decisions that are not in line with the wind of God, the word of God, then God cannot bless it and he cannot let it go. In, in, my, in John 15, we read when we did the tithes and offering message, apart from me, you can do nothing. He was trying to do this apart from God. A man who knows what happens when you are aligned with God, a man who knows what happens when you are faithful, who did so many great things at the end of his life, he made a critical error. And he didn't align his faith in this area of his life. And there were consequences. People of God, beloved of Jesus, I want to appeal to you in this day to make sure that you are saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God, and that if you say you are saved, you are born again, that you will make sure you are aligned with God, that you love Him the way the Bible asks us to love Him, that you fear the Lord the way the Bible tells us to fear the Lord, and that you will exercise your faith in line with your love for Him and your fear for Him. Because if you love Him and you fear Him and you apply faith from your core and you listen for the direction of His voice, where is He sending you? Where is He guiding you? You will hear it and then you have to act accordingly. And make sure that your kite is going with the wind of God to where He wants you to go next. Let's not attach our faith to our own thinking and our own ways. The Bible says, we read this last week in, in, in Proverbs, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, trust the Lord. Nine times out of ten, His ways will not make sense to you in the natural. But I promise you from my own experience and from the Word of God, we can know that He will always be with us. And when I say that, I don't say that you will see like tomorrow I'm rich and famous and I have everything I want. It's not a lucky packet. It's not a lotto card. It's not, none of that. We have to get that thinking out of, our, out of our beings. And we have to know that if I love Him, fear Him, and align with Him by faith, it's not about what I get out of it. It's about having a relationship with the living God and partnering with Him in this life and in every situation. Some of you may sit today with some kind of battle that you're struggling with, some kind of thing that you, see, that you are fearful of. You may feel like Jehoshaphat when the hordes were coming. You're like, this is impossible. We have someone here serving in our church today that has mouth cancer. We have marriages that are taking strain. We have people in financial turmoil. We have unemployment. We have all kinds of challenges that people face. 
And I want you to know, I believe with every fiber of my being that this word is for all of us today. The battle belongs to the Lord. But we have to align our faith with in love and in fear of Him, with Him. And I believe that we can take from this scripture the promise that He will show us what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And even what caused the trouble in the first place. What is the plan of the enemy maybe? Or what has someone else done or said or whatever it might be? Or he may reveal to you that you're sitting with bitterness. You're sitting with unforgiveness. And that is blocking what can happen in your life. Whatever it may be. Be open to what God says. Humble yourself. Choose to fear Him. Love Him. And we are now, like the Levites, we're going to go in front of the army. And we're going to praise God. We're going to praise the beauty of His holiness. We are going to worship Him. And we are going to trust God that as we worship Him, as we usher in His presence, and as we just glorify Him, that those battles that we are facing, that He will bring the victory. That He will bring exactly what needs to happen to come to pass that is who you are you are the way maker miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness my god that is who you are you're a healer you're the king above all kings Lord of all lords, you hold the universe in the palm of your hand. The earth is your footstool. You are great. You are worthy. There's none like you, Lord. I stand in awe of who you are. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. presence of the Lord is so powerful. I hope that it's, that you sense it where you are right now and that God has really ministered into your life. I trust that you've had an encounter with the living God. I trust that you will choose to align your life with Him and I trust that you will reign in life and that you will help others to do the same. We love you. God loves you. And He is with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for spending this time with you, with us, and with your family. May God bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you, turn His face toward you as you go into this week. And know that church is not on Sunday. Church is every day. You are the church. Be the church wherever you are. And walk in the fullness of your love for Him, your fear for Him, the fullness of faith as you align with His Word and where He is going. We pray that for you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. God bless you. Bye-bye.
Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church message of the week. We trust that you found that encouraging, inspiring, hopefully challenging in a good way, and that you will come back next week to listen again. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and your family. Bye-bye.